0: Oftentimes, the people we surf with are more than meets the eye. They help shape our community. On this episode, we have Tom McFall, a tube hunter, a serial entrepreneur, and owner of Huriali, which serves as a hub for the community. I think I've seen every surfer I know eating an acai bowl there at some point. As you will find out, none of this was possible without the vision of his wife, Ruchi. Together, they make a perfect duo to bring us Huriali, We talk about his obsession with surfing and how they built a sustainable business while balancing it all. Enjoy. Growing up in Charleston, there were always the CFC kids would come through. Yeah. And there was such a rad moment where it was like Dave Rodman and this pack of guys. And then all the Charleston guys who were ripping were like the same age. Yep. And then I feel like you and Finn, y'all were like the freshmen of that group.
1: We kind of rode in on the coattails. Yeah, you
0: rode in on the coattails, but it was such a rad time. Like everyone was ripping.
1: That was a super fun time. Um, I remember coming in kind of cold to the Charleston surf culture and being like, holy shit, this place is sick. And like the waves are pretty fun, but the local surfers fucking rip. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of like a wild eye opener because I felt at the time coming from the Northeast, that the surfers were actually better as a whole here, which yeah. like kind of surprised me given the caliber of waves is different. Right, it's, but, I think it was
0: like, I feel like it's ebbed and flowed, but that, yeah. that period was like hot, like it was.
1: Yeah. yeah, like looking back, I remember seeing like Albert um, and some of those boys. And, and then like, there was also like a heavy local vibe back there. Yeah. And I kind of remember, I like was with one of my friends from CFC and Al blasted like a big frontside grab air and like landed it and like turned around and looked at like the buddy I was with and gave him the double birds and was like, go back to New York, kook! And I was like, oh man, this place got hectic.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, it was, yeah, it was such a sick period. Um, So before you came to CFC, what was your, like, I don't even know, where were you kind of raised? and.
1: Yeah, um, the biggest constant in my childhood would be Maine. my mom is kind of from there. She, she was born in Boston um, and always had uh, family and spent time up there. Um, and so, and my dad was actually a military kid. And so he grew up literally all over the place. He was born in Germany. And I think like having that childhood himself, he was always kind of restless and like could never stay in one place. Yeah. So growing up, we did kind of have almost like that military style of like move around all the time. And we were always like dipping our toes in another spot. And, was, and he was like, oh, well, this is cool, but this is wasn't it. So really, I grew up um, in Maine, New Jersey, Southern California, lived in South Carolina for a while as a kid. Um, and when I was like a really little kid, we spent a lot of time on, on a boat uh, moving around the Caribbean. Cool. Um,
0: so, yeah, kind of an epic childhood then, or was it... Pretty,
1: pretty epic, honestly. Yeah. Like, kind of weird from a sense of schooling, maybe, because, right. you know, you're, like, in and out of so many schools that that's kind of, like, unusual. Um, but at the same time, I think that that helped me be comfortable in, like, a multitude of situations as I've grown up. Right. Um, and probably helped me in hospitality, because you're constantly, like, hospitality, you're constantly introducing yourself over and over again, and it's kind of a similar thing. Yeah, that totally makes
0: um, sense. What brought you to CFC?
1: Uh, so, again... My, my dad has definitely been a big influence on in my life, and he always told me his favorite city was Charleston, and I had really fond memories of Charleston for the most part from when I was a kid. Um, we lived uh, just, like, near Beaufort back then for, I guess, three years, two or three years, um, and I remember how, like, beautiful this area was, and at, at that point, I was in high school in New Jersey. Okay. And neither of my parents are from there. We were only there because my dad had work in New York. Um, and like no one was really about it. But the only thing that I really liked about it was the waves there pump. And it's really fun, good barrels. And so really I felt like I came to of CFC and my like only surfing knowledge was in my eyes like how to get tubed.
0: Right, in Jersey.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah like you don't like, I, I feel that then like New Jersey is more on the surf map now than it was then, and like I didn't have like many friends who surfed growing up. Um, There was like did you
0: did you start surfing mostly in Jersey or were you surfing kind of all
1: over? Um, My dad was a lifelong surfer, and so I probably started surfing in Maine. I think is like my earliest surf memories when I was a little kid, Mm -hmm. Um, and then I probably didn't get like really seriously into surfing until like the beginning of high school. Um, been like a lifelong fisherman. Both my parents are really yeah. big into fishing. My mom's got some fishing world records. So. Does she? That's right. Yeah. That's rad. yeah. So, so that was like more, I was big into fly fishing as a little kid. Okay. That's so cool. full full circle now chasing redfish.
0: Yeah. Perfect. You're, yeah. you're kind of in the mecca for that. Maybe not waves, but
1: redfish for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so yeah. How was CFC? Uh, Tell me about your run through that. You met your <laughs> wife through that, I
1: guess, and like yeah, pretty good, right? CMC was epic. Um, I think the city was really different mm-hmm, then to definitely. now. And I remember my freshman year, there was a different police commissioner then, and all these things, and like basically the rule downtown was college kids could not get in trouble. Right. It was like you had to do something really, really stupid. To get in trouble and like end up at Leeds Avenue, which of course inevitably a bunch of the friends did. <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was a really fun and like ruckus time, and it was so cool. Like you said, being immersed in like a really rich surf culture and like a bunch of rippers, and it kind of made me like, oh shit! Like I, I need to surf better than I do right now. Like yeah. everyone rips here. And I remember when that like that year again, Miles had uh, Charlotte's Web on the washout. Yeah. And so there was like the surf shred quarters right on the beach. Um, and yeah, that was, that was a really good time. And then freshman year was kind of like, I feel like a lot of people's mess around year definitely was mine. Ended up getting more serious about school, kind of diving more into uh, the business program at CFC. Um, and was just thinking then of, of like, what was coming after that, that time period. Like what, what I wanted to do next, and that type of thought, like a lot of kids have in college. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I remember, like way back then, like freshman sophomore year, Miles and I were like, "All right, we're gonna start Two Bros Tacos. We're gonna <laughs> sl- we're gonna sling some tacos around <laughs> campus." That sounds like the the thought everyone's thought or something. Yeah, yeah. I never did anything with it, but it was like a cool uh, brainstorm event of like thinking about a hospitality product and like how it, what, what that would look like. And then fast forward to later on, um, I remember my last semester of college. All my courses were on un- entrepreneurship based, and my first or second class of that semester, there was this like cute girl in the class, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna sit next to her, like definitely, like first day, like well, this this makes sense. Right. Sat next to her, and then like next class, sure enough, same girl's in it again, and I'm like, oh wait a minute, like this is like yeah definitely a good idea, like be like oh, yeah, hey good to see you again, like. This is like an easy, like one-liner moment and then like third class again. And, uh, yeah, she, that girl was Ruchi, ended up being my wife. Um, and we've happily been, uh, building her for the last decade, since that time, pretty much. We had like a, a year in between that we spent in India. Um, she had a job and I was kind of just like free flowing after college. Yeah. Like, How my- was that time? Cause I think for me, I think I
0: remember that's where you dialed the business in. Right. And then when you came back or is that,
1: yeah, that's, that's about right. Um, That time in India, we were, uh, I I mean, I, again, I, I like didn't have any program going into it. She had a job in a, uh, essentially like an infrastructure development firm, um, helping build large scale projects in India. And so she had like a real big girl job and I was kind of along for the ride in the beginning. And then I quickly like did a bunch of interviews. I like interviewed actually with a surf camp um, that needed a head surf instructor in South India. And I got that job, but I never took it. And I was like, all right, I can't do this right out of college. This will be like, this will lead like fluff. Right. This will start my downfall. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, But ended up getting a job with a, They called it a management consulting firm, but really what, in my eyes, what they were doing was facilitating foreign business in India uh, through a vast network of connections that my boss had. And that was a really kind of serious job, um, and my boss was pretty intense in ways that I didn't, like my own ethos didn't align Mm -hmm. with. Like, it's like looking at tenders to privatize water supplies and scary things. Yeah, yeah. and so my experience there made me realize that I never wanted a real like corporate setting job mm-hmm. and kind of all of the going against your own ethos, morals that those often entail. Right. Yeah. Um, and so Ruchi and I started, I actually had a guy, I had a guy there uh, who was my like first level boss, not like the top, but he was, had all these side hustles before side hustles were like popularized. Um, and. Or it was Instagram. Yeah. And his, exactly. And his whole thing was like, if you're going to go do something on your own, just go do it and do it when you're young, because if you fail now, you have plenty of time to recoup and like figure it out. Um, and so those, I like definitely really took those words with us and ended up, you know, slowly the burnout from that job, I was like, all right, I cannot work for this individual anymore. Um, and actually, shot like the resume back to people i internship with in college and and like things like that and ended up getting a job in shanghai uh china uh at this like really weird at a plastic and in- injection molding company okay um that had you know as a multinational and signed signed up like contract it was like this really cool setup where they were going to be teaching me Mandarin at night and I was staying in like the French district of Shanghai, which is like the, so you were over there. So I, so we're getting there. Okay. okay, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And and so like this whole thing, and it was like a really cool setup, you know, uh, I was going to get paid really well. Um, and definitely would have been an epic springboard for a career into that part of the, you know, into that, uh, universe, I guess. I don't know. Um, and we were going to come back to Charleston for two weeks as like a, interim vacation before going back to Asia again.
0: Were you thinking like, I'm um, just, I'll surf one day again when I can buy a beach house
1: or like, or were you still like frothed up? So I was still frothed up because I surfed a lot in India okay, in South yeah. India and the waves were good. Um, I based and I got a lot of freedom at that job. To, I would be like on six day work weeks there in, in Asia in general. Right. Yeah, so you yeah. work six days a week for weeks on end and then your burnout's insane. You're like, all right, I, I have to go surfing. Yeah. Um, and then from Shanghai, I've done a bunch of research and cloud nine, the, like the sick right and I think it's Siargo in the Philippines, yeah. um, is like a like five hour flight. Okay. Yeah. And so I had, actually had a board made for that wave and I was gonna bring it with me over there, but came back to Charleston. Um, honestly, air pollution's gnarly in Asia. And I was like, had all those things in my mind. I'd like, I was like swimming in an indoor pool there Mm -hmm. as like my main exercise because exercising outside was so hectic. It's just horrible. Yeah, it's tough. And you come back and like, it's like beautiful here and everything's like serene. Uh, And so it was really challenging to think to then go back to Asia again for an extended period of time, away from surf, away from friends. Um, And so we stayed. So we like stayed in Charleston. Ruchi had to go back to India to like finish out some stuff there. And I, I crashed on a buddy's couch that summer downtown um, and surfed my brains out and worked some like hospitality jobs, was a valet, worked construction for a friend. I think we all did valet. Were you with Matt? I was with Matt. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a good time. Yeah, it was a good. Time. Oak Steakhouse, Bill Murray telling me to empty frozen bags of corn in his car. Good, good memories. <laughs> yeah, great memories. Um, But yeah, so that that was kind of like the transition, and then back to Charleston. That whole time was uh, thinking about what was next. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one thing in India was like, my stomach was in constant turmoil because I do stupid things by nature, and like one of those things is like eat anything and everything. Right. And so, in eating all that food, I like. I remember at one point I got so sick I lost like 13 pounds in like two weeks.
0: Just from the food
1: just from like a, like, you know, GI related stuff. Yeah. Right. Like shit, my brain's out. And, um, the one thing that I felt really helped like me sustain was her mom made fresh juice every day and like a bunch of other kind of Ayurvedic related healthy food. And so when we came back to Charleston and we were thinking about things, we were like, what if we do something on the health side? Cause I always had that hospitality thing in the back of the mind mm-hmm. and we had very little money at the time and the family was like completely not behind. Like they were like, go, you need to go back in the corporate world and get like a proper job. Like you are not like ready to do something on your own. And so we basically just like scraped some stuff together. Um, bought like, I think it was at the time, like a thousand dollar juicer and found a commercial kitchen in Johns Island. That was $500 a month for rent. And, we started making juice and like gluten-free stuff and some like niche healthy foods and went to the farmer's markets. Cool. Yeah.
0: That yeah. was like, that was the beginning. I remember that time. I remember, uh, you, you probably don't remember this, but you had just moved back. Yeah. And I saw you walking into Bagel Nation or something mm-hmm. and you had a briefcase. And I was like, what's up, dude? I haven't seen you in a while. And I was like, you were like, I think you were like, I'm starting something and you weren't ready to like talk about it yet, but you had a briefcase and I was always like, what the, what is Tom starting? (laughs) Like he has this briefcase, (laughs) but. um, Thought I was really official. Yeah, I just was like, I wonder what's coming like with the briefcase, but anyways, um, yeah. So then yeah, the business takes off. From my end, I remember you guys starting being the farmer's markets. And then when you finally got your first location I would have random friends hit me up and they're like, do you want to go meet here? And I'm like, oh, that's so funny. That's Tom's place. Like that's sick. I'm like, that's funny. That's like taken off like that. Yeah. Like not just me telling people to go there. And then now I feel like it's bigger than you. It's like, it's a Charleston staple, um, which is so rad. It's been like, it's cool to see a friend start something and it, it is what it is now. So yeah, kind of explain quickly like kind of the steps it grew to and, get there yeah
1: yeah I'm, I'm really fortunate that um, it's not just me it's Ruchi and I sure. and I think we bring a balance of uh, different skills and like uh, uh, styles to the brand um, and I think if with you know if it was just me back then it would have been like too surf heavy, you know, yeah. and like never would have gotten to where it is. And so she really balanced the brand and brought kind of, uh, I feel like mass appeal is a dirty word, but in some ways, you know, it's a business. It has to have Absolutely. like uh, that element. Um, and so kind of mixing our styles, I think was a winning, uh, just a, a, a winning equation in the beginning. Um, and then to be perfectly honest with you, I, I really feel like just our, perseverance and amount of time in was what made it happen because it wasn't like overnight successful. Um, we started at six farmers markets. We did, we were the only employees just Ruchi and I juiced through the nights because we had day jobs. We then do the farmers markets, the other jobs and then like blasted on social media and you know, early on Instagram days before the algorithm kind of made it trickier. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we just kept doing the same thing for a really long time and focused on quality. um, And like really just like the whole thing from the beginning was authenticity and like really just trying to make it representative of who we were and like what we actually believed. Because that was the whole thing when we were both working in India was like we were doing things we didn't believe in. Mm -hmm. So we just wanted to do stuff that we actually were about. Um, And I feel that over time, people like an underdog and like something grassroots. And that's kind of how we started, you know, as like this little teeny, the first shop we got, um, or when we started, we walked into that building. We we're like, okay, we need, we need to get out of this, this kitchen because it was shared between like four other people it was pain we were we the, were out in John's Island yeah out in mm-hmm. John's Island and and it was like we were like coordinating with other businesses that you know when we could use the kitchen and it was it was a, kind of a nightmare honestly and then like someone else might leave it dirty and you walk into a kitchen that you didn't leave dirty but it was dirty and anyway um so we walked so we were like looked downtown and the first place caught our eye we looked at and I walked in and I knew the guy who was in there, like, walking around, and it was another hospitality, or I wasn't a professional the time, but, you know, I was a hospitality professional in the city. And I was like, oh, are you looking at this space for you? And he's like, no, I own this space. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, shoot. Like, this is, feels kind of serendipitous. And so we pursued it. That first space was, like, 300 and change square feet. Yeah, um, so small. They yeah, it was... The juice, the, uh, the juice bar, but we made food out of there and the juice and the smoothies. And we had like six employees and we knew we were kind of onto something when like we stopped being able to actually hold enough inventory in that space to get through a whole day's service. And we were like, Oh, it's like this, we need to like expand and right. like take. And so we, so we took that rest of the building and I think just slow organic growth. We never took outside investment. Um, was really what's gotten us to where we are. Like, I feel like a lot of people want to do, in my eyes, like too much too soon, and I think just slowly biting off a little bit more and more over time has kind of uh, enabled our sustainable trajectory of growth.
0: And um, you know who your you know who your clients are that way. You're, yeah. You're not creating like a fluff business.
1: Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you're, you're like maintaining your regulars, like downtown, a typical day is 70% returning customers. Um, and so we were just like slowly building that following of like the same people and that, and just like maintaining quality and just focusing on what we were doing and not trying to do like all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I, um. I'm, one of my favorite things to
0: do is to go eat there by myself because I'm going to run into someone I know. And it's like fun to just like have conversations with people who you don't typically see. Yeah, It's just like a good hub, a good meeting spot. And the food's delicious, you know. it's It's got its... When you go there, it doesn't feel like anything else in town. Like it has its own feel. And I feel like you guys did a really good job at creating
1: that. I appreciate it. And I think that that may... You know, maybe my explanation for that would be uh, Richie and I both had unique um upbringings and i feel like we grabbed a lot from that in creating this business you know she was born raised in india mm-hmm. um and has done a lot her her dad is very passionate about uh, history and traveling and she's done a lot of traveling and seen a lot of the world um, and definitely brings the stylish counterpart of the two of us right. um, and then just my upbringing has always been focused on nature and the outdoors and uh I think that combination has has kind of created, like you said, something that you know is is a representative of us in some ways, and then now even more, it's it's representative of everyone that's part of the team as the team has grown. Um, I think Hurriali has got like 40 employees right now, which is kind of hectic. But yeah, that's uh, so I couldn't imagine. Um,
0: it's, you know, it's cool what it's become.
1: Yeah, and then our goal also has has always been to be like a community hub and a community center, and like what something that we wanted to see in the community was like where the idea was born from. It was like, okay, we want like a healthy food spot that people want to keep coming to because I think it's hard to eat fried chicken sandwiches every day Um, and be able to do stuff that we all like to do outdoors right? be physically active um, and at least feel good or like do it for a long period of time. Um, And it's been fun to see that downtown kind of grow into a cool meeting center. And I think that the James Island location is like slowly getting there too and becoming a good like community hangout and like a place to go gossip about your neighborhood.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That was rad. Oh, I did want to touch on the sustainability aspect as well. Like I, there might be a few establishments in Charleston that really put forth that effort, but I feel like when I go into your shop from start to finish, uh, there's like the waste control and... um, Compost. Yeah, like you guys are actually... Yeah, everything's actually thought out and you guys actually stand behind it and don't just, you know,
1: do the fluffy words. Yeah, so like going back, um, I have to kind of go back to like when I was a kid actually. Um, I have watched and seen a lot of environmental degradation in my life. Um, Like my most vivid memory of that was we used to spend a lot of time on a, on a fishing boat in the Caribbean when I was a little kid. And we'd go to this one little zone, like super remote area, uh, where all these pristine coral reefs were. And I remember it probably happened when I was like seven to 10. I don't exactly know, but it's like lasting impression from that young. We went another time in that time frame, and the reef was completely dead. And they were building a golf course on that island, so they cleared a big portion of this, like the northern tip of this island. It was a really beautiful area, and all this, like there were all these orchids in that, uh, like untouched little scrubby jungle. Um, these crazy giant crabs, all this nature, and then absolutely pristine coral reefs, like a stone's throw from the beach. And when they put that golf course in, all the nutrients leached out out of the golf course and killed the reefs. It was quick. It was quick. It's wow. so like yeah. one year, mm. one year. And they haven't come back. I've been back. They haven't come back since. And so I think that was the beginning of like environmentally focused thinking. Um, and then I've seen similar situations like that. So when we started Hurriali and we were thinking like, okay, we want this business to grow. But the biggest problem with growth is then you have a larger carbon footprint and you're trying to balance that out. And so from the very beginning of Hurriali, we were really, really focused on... Uh, Trying to have zero food waste, um, any and all of our packaging, being biodegradable and compostable, um, and just being mindful throughout the process. And that's definitely been a big part of our ethos ever since. Yeah. Um, how how do you
0: feel about food waste and sustainability? Like what's that process look like?
1: Yeah, so at Hurriale, um one, we're focused on buying locally as well. Um, and so our supply chain kind of looks like our first step is to look if it's locally available. If it's not locally available, we pretty much only buy organic mm-hmm. um, and that kind of sets us apart because there's really few people in Charleston that are actually doing that. Some people talk about it, but they're not might not be about it. Um, and then from there, once we actually get the food, being very mindful, and honestly it, it's double, right? Because if you're not wasting food, you're also helping your margin. Um, so there is that element of it too but everyone's very, very conscious of all of the scraps. We're constantly trying to repurpose any food scraps into sauces and different things like that. Um, creative reuse, like uh, food scraps from the strawberries are going into strawberry syrup. And then any of our food scraps in the kitchen are composted. We're lucky in Charleston that uh, Bee's Ferry has like one of the country's best composting facilities. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, and so we compost all of our food scraps. We compost as much of the uh, customer's waste as we can too. And we're kind of working on a better system of how to like help people sort that. So at the end of the day, our employees aren't like digging through the trash, which is a challenge. Um, but yeah, that's, that would be the biggest part there is conscious of what we're using, making sure not to you know, have spoilage, reusing scraps for other purposes, and then composting anything that isn't repurposable. Um, so it's not hitting the landfills and keeping that carbon footprint as low as we can by actually having the produce come from local farms. So there's not as big of uh, a, uh, you know, a footprint there. Yeah. That's so rad. I like
0: if the, if, if you guys could do anything, just that trying to be like a light or a staple for that in the community is like enough there, you know, it's like. It's huge.
1: That was the whole goal, too, and just like raising awareness so that more people uh, can think that way in the restaurant business because we have a it's a massive industry in Charleston. Yeah, it definitely Um, is. And I will say over the last like five years, I think Reality has been here, been going ten. But over the last five, I've seen a huge like mass adoption of all of the compostable to go ware, which is really cool. Which is, yeah, that is cool. Um, Saving them sea turtles. Save them, baby. Come on.
0: (laughs) So the, the name's interesting. Even the color, like, when you drive by, it's just such a off green. It, like, it's you guys now. Like, you could see it from a mile away, and it's, it's cool. Tell me
1: about the name
0: and how.
1: Yeah, kind of like the brand identity a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, so we were in India for that year. Uh, originally, a lot of the cuisine was, like, uh, very, very Ayurvedic, like, inspired, um, especially with the juice, uh, like, 100% especially with the juices um, and some of the early niche stuff we were doing. And so Ruchi and I were, like, going through names, and we had spent a lot of time together in South India, and it's, like, really jungly rainforest, kind of like Costa Rica vibes down there, but with full cobras. And uh, oh, nice. <laughs> um, And she was kind of going through... And she mentioned hariyali, and it's actually spelled like the or, the original real Hindi word is spelled with an A. So it'd be like if you as it's pronounced hariyali, but as like an English speaker reader, we'd be like hariyali. Yeah. We're like, all right, we don't want hair in our food, <laughs> so sure. like let's pivot this. <laughs> and yeah, I like instantly loved the name she came up with, and so we we kept it going with that. And then we were like continuing thinking like brand colors and the identity of what a brand is and in her neighborhood in india you are like surrounded and constantly reminded with the squawking of peacocks mm-hmm. those birds are damn loud yeah and so they're gawking all over the place but they're incredibly beautiful um and they just grab your attention and so when we were thinking about like with ayurveda being such a focus and the peacock is really big in uh Hindu lore and, like, everything India, really. We um, were like, the peacock is kind of perfect. And then, like, thinking about colors and branding, we kind of were embodying the spirit of the peacock, peacocking a little bit, honestly. Yeah. And leveraging that time spent in uh, in the Caribbean. I feel like those, like, the really bright colors of the Caribbean water. And then also, uh, if you see, like, all, like, the little, like, fun happening bars and restaurants there are often splashed in color. Mm. And so that was really the big inspiration of kind of, again, like infusing our childhoods together and mixing the two um, to create what it is and like a a representation of of kind of who we are as well. Um, And so those big bright flashy colors to kind of grab people's eyes in an area of Charleston that back then there was like really nothing in that neighborhood um, of its kind. There was a, a uh, meat shop across the street that had been there for 27 years, and that was kind of it. And so we were like this like largely vegan, kind of like funky eclectic spot going in across like a full blown animal butchery. So it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was an interesting time. We're like, all right, let's, wow. let's differentiate a little bit. Yeah.
0: So what about, we'll just dive into surfing again a little bit. I feel like you are, Uh, one of the guys who's on most swells here or like surfing a lot and you travel a good bit and so
1: what keeps you motivated to surf here? Surfing is fun and being from the East Coast like wherever you are on the East Coast you don't, maybe in New Smyrna but other than that like you don't ever have surf all the time and so I think there's something about that that just like keeps bringing you back even if it's just rideable and then my thinking too to be honest with you is if you don't surf consistently, and then you go travel to somewhere where the waves might be heavier or whatever, um, you're just gonna have a harder time. Like, I don't really care what cross-training you're doing, to be honest, like, yeah, conditioning and all that's really important, but nothing to me is like a replacement for actually spending that time in the ocean. Yeah, Paddling. Yeah, in and, the pad- ocean. and paddling, yeah. and just paddling. Like, yeah. I, I don't think that I'm, like, the best surfer by any means, but I think I'm one hell of a paddler. Yeah um and i and i think that's all that that's like what keeps bringing me back to the ocean too it's just like i'd I'd way rather get that exercise than go do something else um and our way you know even though i have like friends who have lived here and moved to places where the waves are epic and everyone always misses like the good waist to chest high days it's we have a really fun folly has really good shape when it's good in my eyes it's never like I think we can probably count the days that it's been like six foot on one hand in the last five years. Oh no! But yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, like, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. But I, the waves are fun here, and they've got great shape. It's like chippy little wedges and like little tubes. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. What are you What are you riding
0: right now that you're psyched on? Like, I like you because you ride boards that you like. You've been riding that little lost. Uh, Yes. Craigslist, fine, but like you're ripping it and it's like, it's got to, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, that's another key thing for getting stoked here and I, you, you kind of hit on it was I remember when Malcolm and I became better friends and he was, I, I bought a board for my buddy Trent Friedman that he bought from Malcolm. Mm-hmm. I think Malcolm made that board in 2010 and then I got it in like 2012 or 13 when I moved back to Charleston and it was like four eight, 23 inches wide and just like a bizarre like not even really a surfboard, but you could surf on it. And that was the beginning of the weird boards and realizing that those boards are fun here. And so I think riding alternative surfboards at Folly keeps it fresh. And as my body is like less youthful than you know my 20 year old version of myself, it's just like, I, I, I don't, it's very rare that I'm on a standard shortboard at Folly these days. And it's because, I, it's probably because I've overdone it on the weird board and I'm like, all right, well this is now kind of fresh again. Right. Um, but what am I riding right now at Folly? I've been riding a 5.2 twin fin a lot. I've got like another mid-length that's kind of fun. My my Richard Prowse 5.8 red uh, twin fin is really fun, but I usually ride that two in one. Um, I've been riding a longboard a lot. I've
0: noticed that. How's the longboard game coming? Oh,
1: man. I'm pretty, I'm a pretty poor, like, piss poor longboarder. Yeah. But it's been really fun to learn something new. I visited my good friend in Malibu and was, like, a complete kook in the lineup. Mm -hmm. And I was like, fuck, I kind of suck at this. And so I made it my mission in the last two years to, like, at least to be able to cross step and, like, kind of ride the nose. Yeah. It's. Longboarding's fun.
0: Like when right before I moved off the beach, I would longboard every day and I yeah. felt myself getting better and then I quit for a long time and I like suck again. It's I don't it's, know, I feel like both of you guys are pretty stylish longboarders. Uh yeah, well, I'm trying, but it's like yeah, you it's fun to to work at it cuz you definitely can get
1: better. Yeah, and it's a new challenge. Yeah. And in reality you can't ride a shortboard for real here that often, and you can ride a longboard like what, maybe like two hundred eighty days a year, 300 days a year?
0: I mean, it depends on the mindset, but <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been really fun. I've, I've enjoyed. Um, and again, like you said, it's just paddling. Um, and yeah, I, I just like being able to be comfortable when I do go somewhere where the waves are better. Um, We one
0: question we've been asking everyone is is, because we're just so curious about this How is it for you and we may have touched on this but the work-life surf family balance like how do you Navigate that Do you do you have any wisdom for for people? I just I like hearing about it because I find myself like I don't make plans with people a lot of times because I'm trying to always keep my schedule open for surf like How do you kind of navigate that? And then with having a business too, it like brings a whole other element.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing for me is making sure that I'm getting my work, honestly, like first of all, if I have like the raddest wife in the world and she totally understands the passion and knows that like, I'm also probably more fun to be with if I've like been surfing and like gotten my time in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Um, But then on the business side, like if I'm if I honestly, if I don't feel like I've gotten my work done that I'm not gonna enjoy my session anyway because I'm an, I'm a very obsessive person. And so if I haven't like quelled that side of the obsession because in reality, I honestly like creating and, and building what we do in the hospitality world as much as surfing. Um, and so I, I try and kind of compartmentalize the two into different time blocks and make sure that I'm spending an equally ridiculous amount of time on the business as I am plotting and planning and actually surfing. Right. Cool. Um, and I, and I feel that that helps a lot. And on terms of the work, family life, like again, Rooch Ru- just kind of gets it. And, uh, she definitely lets me go do my thing maybe more than most. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm super lucky there. Uh, but I, I like like, like I, like you, were kind of saying is I think it's also like putting time in, you know, being a good partner, um, being a good business person, and then you kind of get to have your good ocean time. Yeah, perfect. Sounds like a good mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah Balance, right?
0: Yeah, it's all balance for sure. Um, what is what's next for you, or like, or more locations down the line, or is it?
1: Yeah, yeah we've got a couple macro projects that are just like in the beginning stages because now her, the her riverland location um is just now starting to find like stasis i would say um like being a little bit more self-sufficient we had a really t- hard time uh staffing that location um it's like a weird time in the restaurant industry yeah. uh, as a whole and the charleston is so competitive right. and so I think we're trying to make sure that everything is battened down and smooth at that one before we bite off too much. Again, kind of like staying in our lane and like knowing not to go too fast. Um, We've definitely talked about doing more hospitality, uh, like products isn't the right word, but um, We've thought about opening more locations and doing that dance. We're just not sure what's next. And then also I was really involved in building that uh, restaurant and enjoyed that side of the creation of like using my hands and seeing it come to life around. And so I I could see us doing more of that as well. Um, I think the whole fun that Ruchi and I, it's like it's really fun setting up a space and then like presenting it to the world. Yeah, that's cool. That's Um, gotta feel good. Yeah, it's it's like a fun, it's a fun feeling. it's like almost as good as getting tubed yeah not, not quite as good but, right um and so yeah so more projects uh more barrels for sure and maybe a combination of the two somewhere else we've kind of been asking what's been your
0: favorite uh swell you've ever had here most memorable at folly yeah there's like one day in particular that was really, there's been like a, there's been. <laughs> That's the theme of folly, by the way. It's a day or a window. It's not like a five day swell. They just nah.
1: There's a couple really good ones. Like I remember when I first moved here, um, it was either a tropical storm or hurricane Noel yeah. was the first time I was like, Oh snap. Like the waves get good here. Like get really fun. And I surfed the washout with Finn in the morning and I probably shouldn't say his name on camera. Um, no, I was kidding. Um, and uh, um, and he was getting mega barreled, really good ones, and it was really fun. And then we moved up to the pier, and the pier had like just absolutely crispy, head high, foot overhead waves running from the pier to past the condos, and you could do like seven off the tops. Um, and that was a really that was like the first really special sick session uh, at, I remember at Folly. And then I remember, I guess I remember a couple. Tropical Storm Colin, remember that day? Colin yeah, was so good. That was it was like good all day. Yeah. That was really really fun. And then even in more recent years, um, I had like a really gnarly accident in 2020. And the year before that, I think it was, I felt like I was doing the best surfing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had some maybe it was like a tropical storm or like some system and it was just like kind of like wobbly funky barrels in the morning and really really fun it's like one of those sessions that i felt like i just kind of couldn't miss right and then by the afternoon it had sorted itself out and it was just like head high like chest to head high perfect really punchy tubes and there's not many places in the world, in my eyes, that you can, like, get maybe, like, 50 barrels in a day. Right. And Folly Beach, when it's really doing it, is, like, that's not, so, yeah, yeah you can get so many waves, and it's so high action, and, like, you've got, like, a six-foot swell at seven seconds, and it's just wave, you, like, the minute you paddle back out, there's another yeah. wave. And I, that day is burned in the brain of, like, catch a wave, get tubed paddle back out right into another one. And it was just like that for like four or five hours. And then I remember just like sleeping for two days.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Getting tubed at Hem's the best. I, that, sorry, real quick. That was the day that Cuff, I don't remember if you guys remember this, but Cuff got that barrel right in front of like what's called the Bill Murray jetty. And it was like, uh, Justin got the shot and the shot was from like the main part of the washout looking that way. And I still think that's one of the heaviest-looking barrels and, like, heaviest-looking barrel shots I've ever seen from Folly Beach. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I was second priority, and Cuff just absolutely dominated that one. I yeah. was like, fuck! But he got so much deeper than I was and came, like, spit out of that thing. So sick. Yeah, that's rad. The
0: Bill Murray jetty... It's so funny. I've told like a million people that's Bill Murray's house. Do we know if that is? I don't
1: think it was ever Bill Murray's house. I don't house. think it was either. I kind of feel like, again, like Finn might have started that rumor. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, it's like, hey, did you know that's Bill Murray's house? <laughs>
0: <laughs> How do you try to stay relevant and keep getting better at surfing? Like, I've been injured for two years now. I I like want to surf good again. You came out of an injury and I feel like you're surfing your best kinda now after injury, so is it just the food you're making or what is it? It's all in the hurry, <laughs> All of it. It's I, all in the and sauce. I do that, it's all I just, in the sauce. Just it's just basically
1: to... you just drink this and then you get barreled.
0: And that's, and I've spent so much money lately with you guys trying to do that, Just but... a couple
1: more smoothies. <laughs> okay. Right, no, perfect. no, but for real, I, I think uh, definitely have learned a lot about surfing since moving to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I think one, Folly Beach is one of the best like learning waves Ever and I don't really know why, but it really is. If you, and like it helps you generate speed and learn like all of that aspect of surfing. And then there's so many good surfers here that I feel like it's a lot easier to progress in surfing when you're surfing with better people. Right. Um, I'll say uh, like my roommate in college, Miles Hamilton, is a really solid surfer, and I, I definitely got a lot better surfing with him and Finn and like around you guys. Um, and then I, I feel like I actually started getting a lot better at surfing in like my mid 20s because I started riding all those weird boards. Really? And riding like over volume boards mm. and funky waves. And like if you, then you figure out how to turn those kind of funky surfboards. Cause really I think that surfing and surfing like decently is all about going fast. Right. And like my whole goal on my surfboard is I'm usually trying to just go as fast as I possibly can.
0: up the volume
1: yeah and then i feel like you know you go faster everything becomes easier Um, your turns look better because you're displacing more water because you're going faster um and then post injury i i feel like honestly i was Every best like trick I've ever done, I feel like was before injury. Yeah. Um, honestly, like I, I like rarely try like air reverses and things like that anymore, except for if I'm like way too caffeinated and getting stoked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey. uh, yeah, let's the go. Um, the juice. The juice. But uh, yeah, I, I think that again, I, I'm definitely a pretty obsessive person. And so I had bad wipeout surfing messed up my hip really badly didn't know how bad it was was your hip from surfing my hip was from surfing uh, the biggest waves i've ever surfed on the east coast um oddly enough in palm beach of course <laughs> it was it was like pumping palm beach i think uh richard Prouse was down there i think he actually broke a rib that that day that session and i like had a i took a bigger wave like double overhead wave air dropped landed weird um pig dog And then immediately got lipped and like compressed really strange and all my weight on my back leg. And what actually ended up happening was my, uh, my femur hit the socket so hard that it, uh, impact fractured the socket and I cracked a piece of bone off and rolled into the joint. Didn't know how bad it was continued to surf and skate with a lot of pain. That like problem of proprioception ended up causing me to break my ankle. So I broke my ankle and my hip. Uh, got them both two surgeries on my ankle, one surgery on my hip, all within the same seven months. And then, uh, yeah, a bunch of healthy food for one, like focusing on inflammation to just keep inflammation as low as possible through eating really healthy, healthy oils, uh, more vegetarian than normal. Um, like I was vegan for a long portion of that time, just trying to keep inflammation down and then just obsessive amounts of physical therapy. Right just like fully obsessive. And then coming back to it with the mindset of like, I just feel so fortunate to be able to surf at all. Cause I had doctors being like, you shouldn't ever surf again. Like you're gonna like, don't do that. And I was, that obviously wasn't in the cards. Um, and so just coming back into it, like as humble as possible of like anytime I'm on my surfboard, I'm just fortunate. Right. Um, I feel like has, has really helped me. And then really like changing the world, you know, you're aging anyway and like aging gracefully and like we're not 18 year olds and I, I have more fun trying to like get barreled and link maneuvers than trying to like throw one hail Mary. And so that change in mindset um, has been super helpful to kind of, I guess stay relevant and uh, age gracefully. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, you just try to get more barreled yeah just way so. more barreled i just want to get barreled yeah. that's like all that's all i want to do on my surfboard is, is like get barreled whenever i'm traveling i tend to travel to places where the waves are barreling that's like i don't it's like all i want to do i just want to get tubed. yeah not the worst thing
0: nah yeah, I, with my injury, it's like if I come in from a session and I haven't like re-injured my knee, I'm stoked. you so it,
1: it just like changes your mindset. And I think part of my inspiration comes from legendary tube rider at Folly Beach, Adam Fowler, who told me that he had like the worst time with his body and health and like joints in his early 30s and then like got on top of it with his lifestyle. And now he's been, like, the most tubed guy at the washout from, like, 30 to, I don't know how old Adam is, but however like, I guess it's 20 years. I'm sorry, Adam, if you're not 50. Yeah. (laughs) Adam is
0: the man. Like, he's just kind of a legend in my eyes. I don't really know him
1: that well. Yeah. And I've been surfing with him forever, but he rips. Rips. That guy's got some special. We were talking before this about people who just, like, see the ocean. Right. Definitely someone who just sees the ocean a little bit different. And the parallel tube status that he manages to find himself in is so steezy. I, I didn't know his name forever all throughout high school and stuff.
0: We just called him uh, Short Stance. Like, you know. I always call yeah. him Tube Guy. Yeah, I that's like, a oh, good one. Guy. The Tube Guy. The Tube Guy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, there, there's some epic characters and, and ripping surfers who've been here a long time. Yeah, there really is.
0: It's a, that's what we're trying to do with this. We're trying to, like, paint all those pictures of who those people are and kind of give them... They're nod. Um, Yeah, so
1: we're seeing what's up. I vote for him on the podcast. I bet you'll have some epic stories about the Outer Banks. That guy. I also every time I've been to the Outer, not every time, but almost every time I've been the Outer Banks and the surf's pumping, all of a sudden I see Adam getting blown out of barrels. Yeah, "Uh, I'm in the right place. I'm in the right place. Right.
0: Yeah, I've done that a few times. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Thanks for uh, fueling us. Cheers. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll go get some good waves this summer and fall.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Good chat. Thanks, boys. Woo-hoo.